Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canadaland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Well. Hey, Jono. Hello. Let's go to Ontario place. Yeah. When was the last time you have been to Ontario Place? I was thinking, when was the last time I was in I was in someone's car? <laughs> <laughs> um, last time I was at Ontario Place was uh, just part of the uh, Cenosphere, just part of the pandemic. I saw Inception over my birthday weekend in February 2020 mm-hmm. at the Cenosphere. Living in Parkdale, like was able to bike easily to the Cenosphere now and again when it reopened the past few years, and so quite enjoyed that. What about you? When was the last time you were at the site? Um, this summer, I went in July, I think, maybe the beginning of July, and just like had a little walk around. We are sitting in the parking lot at Ontario Place. No attendant here, but paid parking is in effect. You just paid to park. How, how much was it? Ten bucks. It's a very nice day in Toronto, on a vast concrete expanse close to the water. There's a empty, abandoned-ish looking, or just closed, uh, beer garden in sight. A few parked food trucks that are not operating. And a and truck full of porta potties, unfortunately. Yeah, at least ten porta potties. So, on this episode of Wag the Dog, we're going to take you on a tour of Ontario Place 
and on a trip back in time to when the provincial government believed it could create and celebrate a unique Ontario identity on the Toronto waterfront. When Premier John Robarts first announced the project in 1969, he described it as a forerunner to the city of tomorrow. And indeed, Ontario Place has always felt slightly out of step, ahead of its time in some ways, behind the times in others, past, present, and future awkwardly colliding in a mishmash of ambitions. A couple weeks ago, we got a clear sense of what the site's next future will be, when Doug Ford and his PC government unveiled plans for... Well, at least it's not condos and it's not a casino. But no one is going to describe it as the city of tomorrow, unless you saw the movie Metropolis and your takeaway was... Man, those pleasure gardens for the rich look nice. In some ways, the deterioration of Ontario Place over the past 50 years really mirrors the devolution of the vision for the province that has taken place over the same period. From a 1980s commercial for the theme park that has the almost two-on-the-nose jingle, It's All Yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. a privatized, gentrified, disconnected, yet still very expensive on the taxpayer attraction. Although, as we'll get into, there are some aspects of the PC's plan that I actually really like. In particular, the prospect of a fancy year-round spa 15 minutes from my apartment. They're basically going to carve it up into four kingdoms. The East Island will stay Trillium Park. Live Nation, which runs the Molson Amphitheater or Budweiser Stage or Coors Coliseum or whatever it's called this year, in the center will hold, hold on to that and build a new venue there. Uh, the South Island is being handed over to a Montreal company, Echo Recreol, to build a paid admission venture park. And then the West Island will have as its benevolent rulers uh, a company from Vienna, the Thermic Group, building a massive indoor spa, water park sort of thing. The Sinosphere and Pods will remain, but there's no clearer plan for them than there was 10 years ago uh, in Ontario Place's final season as a public attraction. Ontario Place, as a concept and as a physical site, is an artifact from a period of uncommon public investment in Toronto and in the idea of Ontario itself. It's nice to be back here, breathing in that distinct smell. The uh, diesel sewage maritime of half-hearted ambition. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. As someone born and raised in Ontario, in the GTA to be specific, I'm always very interested in the idea of an Ontario identity because it doesn't really seem to exist. And the fact the province once built a theme park to try to establish one, and it is now mostly abandoned and in shambles, is instructive. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land, which is sadly not the federal equivalent of Ontario Place. And this is Wag the Duck a monthly podcast about Doug Ford on location at Ontario Place. We are starting our jaunt through Ontario Place on the East Island which is the part of the grounds that is going to stay status quo under the PC's new plan. Known as Trillium Park and the William G. Davis Trail, the Kathleen Wynne Liberals 
took advantage of the money that they had to spend ahead of the 2015 Pan Am Games to revamp this area. Although it wasn't actually finished in time for the games and didn't officially open until 2017. Um, all this happened because Ontario Place was kind of the site of a bunch of the water sports for those games, like kayaking and stuff. So this area, um, as the first sign you see notes, was closed to the public for 40 years leading up to 2017. It actually used to be a parking lot. So the Liberals refurbished it and did it in consultation with the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nation. So there's um, sort of indigenous monuments of various kinds along the path. And honestly, it's really nice. Uh, I mean, this was a... Uh where the Toronto Hippo Tours would begin the amphibious portion of their otherwise terrestrial excursions. The Hippo Tours were these buses that were basically just a really stupid guided tour through downtown Toronto, or just a regular guided tourist thing. Um, but the, the, the twist was that they would go and the bus would become a boat, and it would do so by just rolling off down the pier over here, just swim around Ontario Place, come back. Things that are banned from... This section of Ontario Place include the use of flying drones, oh. swimming, and commercial activity. Uh-oh, watch out, Therme Group. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's a map, and you can see very well where the the Bill Davis Trail just kind of ends. <laughs> As it did last Thursday. It's I've only been here through, through here once before. It was on a bicycle. Um, yeah, this whole thing is such a metaphor for liberal approach to the public realm. It's like, yeah, it's it's nice, but it's basically only half, feels like it's half finished. Like they only, I mean, it only covers a frac, tiny fraction of the Ontario Place land. It's basically a half measure. It's pretty much enough so that they can point to some path in concrete to point to and say they've done it. But it's left open this whole other huge vacuum uh, in which uh, the private sector is very enthusiastic to fill. But what is here, it's good. Yeah, when this place first, this trail and park first opened in 2017, the general public wasn't like super aware of it yet. Um, but I knew because I covered provincial politics. So I actually used to bike down to this area quite a bit in the summer because it was, I mean, it's empty now. It's not empty on the weekends here anymore now, but it was always empty then. Yeah, I, I had previously thought or pictured this as where sort of the East Island, like the children's village, all that was. But it is everything you'd pretty much want in a public park and a public space that the city sort of accident, or that city, the province sort of found itself owning. So this is probably a good time to talk about where Ontario Place came from. Why does the province own these waterfront lands and how did it become so compelled to turn them into something important? Well, the province made these waterfront lands. It sunk three retired freighters to create a break wall and then built the islands from dirt excavated for the subway and office tower construction. Originally announced in 1969 as Ontario Showcase, it was supposed to be an extension of the CNE to show that Ontario could have something just as cool as Montreal's Expo 67 with its geodesic dome and pavilions floating above the water. Also, there was a provincial election coming up in a couple years, and the PC government uh, seemed to like the idea of delivering an attraction they promised would be bigger than Disneyland uh, in terms of area, I, I, I guess. Even though even that seems, seems a 
exaggerated. Yeah, so it was former Ontario Premier John Robarts. It was his idea after the success of the Ontario Pavilion at Expo 67. And the idea for the pods was basically stolen from the Expo's various pavilions, some of which floated above the St. Lawrence River and were considered very chic in 1967. I don't know if it was stolen. I mean, it was... I just think it's funny that Ontario's idea of building a a cool identity for itself was in some way, shape or form ripped off from Quebec being cool. They credited it as the inspiration for the overall thing, but it's not... I don't think I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a ripoff. It's an incredible mix of optimism and cynicism is what produced this place. I also think it's important to think about how small Toronto was in the 1960s. Like it was kind of an unrecognizable backwater. There were no condo towers. The Royal York Hotel was one of the tallest buildings. There were parking lots where the Rogers Center and the CN Tower are now. So you can see why these newly restored lands and the concept of doing that really felt like a a blank slate that a provincial government at Queen's Park thought it could put its mark on. I mean, Montreal was Canada's preeminent city and they invested in themselves and their public realm and that's evident in block after block. Toronto didn't really overtake Montreal as the country's economic capital until after the 1980 Quebec referendum. But by the 80s, attitudes towards public spending had shifted. You know, an era of austerity is not a good time to come of age. And Toronto feels like a city that's been indifferent to itself more often than not. So Ontario Place is this curious phenomenon. Grounds admission in the first season, 1971, was a dollar, which is about six eighty in today's money. The Cinesphere, the world's first permanent IMAX theater, was the biggest hit. It famously opened with the movie North of Superior, which is a short IMAX stock about Northern Ontario. The first movie I saw at the Cinesphere was like a nature documentary. Oh yeah, I mean for decades that's pretty much all it, like when we were like just whales and then (laughs) birds and then whales again. Maybe something of dinosaurs if you were lucky, but usually just whales. One thing I learned this week when we were prepping for this episode is that when Ontario Place first opened in the early 70s, the province had hired hostesses that were known as the Girls of Ontario Place and they walked around wearing hot pants and were, like, technically one of the attractions, which, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, like everything else here, Chilliam Park is a metaphor. I mean, while conservative governments no longer believe in public investment, liberal governments still do, but only kind of, partway. Just enough that there's some accomplishment to point to. The park is nice, but it's a half measure. We're into the South Island now, which is always kind of the most barren part of the Ontario place. It's all just this portable sports infrastructure that looks more dangerous than a regular skate park, in my opinion. But I guess that's so they can take it down at winter. Yeah, there's like five or six buildings in our sightline, all of which are boarded up. Some of them have... um, like art-ish stuff on the outside. And off in the distance, the, the iconic pods, how people call them, but truly, when you look at them now, they don't feel iconic. And you look off in the other direction, and you see Hotel X from the exhibition place, but, you know, you don't see the, the orange canopy of Children's Village rising anymore. You don't really see anything. And, it, yeah, it's this weird... I know, this part of the park really uh, captures this sort of this, this in-between state. So we're here on the South Island now, kind of in the shadow of one of the iconic pods. 
and kind of surrounded by boats. There is a marina here that's still functional. This seems to be the most operational thing in the park that we've seen so far. The park's second season, 1972, when adult admission shot up from $1 to $2.50, brought the Children's Village. Regarded as one of the greatest children's play areas the world had ever seen, designer Eric McMillan was given $700,000, about $4.5 today, and carte blanche to build... It was a series of things you could climb on, swing from, swing along. Jump into, jump on. Smash into. Punch. (laughs) Get wet. What do you remember from that, Allison? Uh, I remember the giant blow-up jumping pad, for lack of a better word, that was huge. Like, normally, like, a jumping castle is fairly small. This was, like, the size of, like, half a soccer field. And um, also the part where you ran through and they had like what kind of looked like boxing bags, punching bags hanging, but they weren't like as heavy as a regular punching bag. But you could just like it was a forest. Yeah, of those that you would run through. There's a really good article in on the local a couple of years ago by Nicholas Hewn Brown about that. I mean, and you know, trying to put it in this historical context, and you know, not only would it never get built now, but it's kind of amazing it got built then. I mean, in that 2019 article, uh, McMillan who designed children's village told nicholas Ian brown i think i have the reputation of telling more ministers and deputy ministers to fuck off than anyone else it was a hit the next year 1973 brought his adjacent water park play area or well not a water park but more of a big a super elaborate splash pad it was sort of a proto water park um because water parks in the modern sense didn't really exist yet although it, this was one of the, the key inspirations I will say that was my favorite. Like, I loved that water park so much. I used to, my family would come here, like, probably four times a summer for many summers in a row in the 80s and 90s. And I would, like, they wouldn't even be able to drag me out of that that water park. I had so much fun there. They had, like, bike-powered water guns. So you sat on a bike and pedaled really fast, and it became a water gun, and you could just shoot people all around the park. Like, everyone got wet. Like, there was no, it felt like nothing was off-limits. There were like things you'd pump, and the thing shot water out of its mouth, sort of. The way, yeah, the way these things exist in our memory. I have super hyper specific memories of, of individual holes at the mini golf course. Um, but like you know, while the area of this now Trillium Park was once a parking lot, the areas that were the Children's Village and the water park are now vast expanses of concrete. The Children's Village was closed in 2002, and the water park, with many additions and expansions, remained until Ontario Place closed in 2011. It seems like the costs of running Ontario Place were always a bit of a problem for the province, as was keeping up its attendance. While it remained very popular for decades, attendance sort of slowly dwindled year by year, and subsequently the cost of entry kind of slowly, slowly went up. Uh, They experimented with different admission models over the years. When it opened, all the attractions were included in the gate fee. By 1999, which is when my strongest memories are rooted, grounds admission was 10 bucks, and the Play All Day Pass presented by Blockbuster was $22 if you wanted to do all the rides and stuff, too. That's 15 and $33 in today's money, respectively. In the late 80s, the province privatized the restaurants to save money. And in 1994, under Mike Harris, they did the same for the music venue, tearing down what was called the Forum, um, which was an outdoor theater, 
to replace it with the Molson Amphitheater, which is also an outdoor theater, um, but is maybe 20% larger than the Forum was. That really upset people. Apparently, they also cut down like 400 giant trees along with it. The Forum was like, is like, was like in the round. It was all surrounding this the stage, and the stage rotated slowly, which was something I've never seen at a concert venue before. But uh, yeah, whereas the Molson Amphitheater is a standard steel proscenium concert box. Yeah, and as part of the PC's redevelopment plan, which we will talk about more detail later, all you really need to know about the Molson Amphitheater portion is that they're going to make it bigger, I guess, and redo it so that it can also be closed off and be an indoor theater in the winter months. So it'll be smaller in the winter, bigger in the summer. There was a last gasp at keeping the old version of Ontario Place viable around 2010. The province spent $10 million or so on new attractions, on renovating the Cinesphere, uh, I believe a new water slide that was really only open for one year, and they made the park free for the first time in decades. And the Toronto Star Play All Day Pass was $29, or about 34 But still, while attendance approved a little bit, it still wasn't great. And the political will to keep it alive seemingly had had really just dissipated. Ex-Liberal Premier Dalton McGuinty announced its closure in 2012, and it's really been in limbo ever since. Or at least until a few weeks ago when the PCs finally committed to a plan. Uh, We're going to keep it open 365 days a year, welcoming visitors uh, for generations to come. Under the PC's new plan, this area will become something by Echo de Creole. We're very excited to bring you a new innovative adventure park at Ontario Place. One that will create a magical atmosphere while offering immersive, family-friendly activities for all ages. Our adventure park will include activities such as aerial courses, zip lines, escape games, climbing walls, and much more. I mean, that doesn't sound wholly unlike the Children's Village. If a bit less whimsical and probably more expensive. A four-hour ticket to Echo Recreo's flagship Montreal property, the pirate-themed Voile en Voile, goes for 54 bucks a person. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Onward and westward. Do you remember when there was the bungee jumping here? No. It was by the, by the West Island entrance over there. It was like a really tall tower, and people would bungee jump but I obviously never did it but like I was watching it it was crazy it's the only time I've ever seen bungee jumping up close and it seemed like it was very far or very tall you can rent a paddle boat those paddle boats also look pretty scummy and they're $40 an hour are you serious yeah oh my so we've now arrived at the West Island, which is somehow stranger and has even weirder vibes than the abandoned South Island. Because this is really abandoned, but in a way that it still has the ruins of what was once here. It's still like very much a shell of it. And it's also occasionally kind of used. Um, as I got older, uh, my experience with Ontario Place started to be more oriented toward the West Island. I mean, what I'm looking at now is the concrete expanse that used to be the Island Club and the audience area for what was once the Waterfall Showplace, 
which was a stage with regular shows. When the shows were not on, there was a waterfall running down in front of the stage. When the show was about to start, the water would turn off, the curtains would open, and then these speakers would fold out of the stage and sort of hang on either side of it. It was, uh, it was, it was neat. Um, and there was a Blueberry Hill, which was a restaurant, a burger chain at one point. This is the area that's going to be the least public once it's finished. While the bike path, the Bill Davis Trail that we are on on the East Island is going to be extended all the way across the whole expanse of the lands. Uh, And the beach, which is kind of just over yonder from where we're sitting in this abandoned hellhole, is going to be made bigger. Thermae Group, an Austrian-based spa company, will lease almost all of the land on the West Islands for its massive spa plants. Toronto-based architecture firm Diamond & Schmidt will design the future spa. Right now, Thermae operates three spas in Germany and one in Romania, and it's been vying for a spot at Ontario Place at least since 2018 when the Liberals put out their first call for proposals for revamping the place. The PCs cancelled that and, and restarted the process. Thermae hired a Toronto-based lobbying firm to push its proposal to both the PC government at Queen's Park and the city of Toronto over the past 18 months or so. And what it's supposed to look like, honestly, seems great. Uh, There's artistic renditions. Do artistic renderings for buildings ever not look great, though? Yeah, like, full disclosure, I want Thermae to be a success. I love um, saunas and hot tubs and outdoor ones in the winter. I think Toronto has not nearly enough access to that type of thing, which honestly, we're in a cold climate. Like the true Ontario identity is being cold half the year. And if someone wants to build a big fancy place where I can warm up, I am not opposed So the artistic renderings, it looks like a giant greenhouse-style building with really high ceilings. Inside, there's going to be a large pool surrounded by lawn chairs and palm trees. When Ontario Place was announced in 1969, Harvey Cowan, the star's architecture writer at the time, described the West Island as providing space, quote, for water gardens, flower exhibits, concerts, picnics, a winter carnival, cafes, and plain old-fashioned sitting and strolling. The irony, or, well, one of several ironies, is that over the past decade, since Ontario Place has been closed, the West Island kind of finally, truly became that kind of space. In 2016, it kind of reopened, sort of, with this, uh, this thing called the In Future Festival in that September, in which artists were invited to create all kinds of interventions in the space, remix the attractions. The animatronic characters and creatures from the Wilderness Adventure Ride were repurposed by the artist Max Dean, so they were kind of performing surgery on each other. It was like, you know, sort of recalling what your childhood memories were like in a dream, and it was really exciting. And since then, there have been all kinds of, like, winter carnivals in the space. TIFF has used this the past couple years because of COVID. And it's successful as park space. Like, it's actually kind of amazing that this part of this most... The part of the park that actually still has the most of the original structures still intact is the part that still gets used the most these days. I did see a few architecture columnists and Twitter people sort of suggesting that the building won't live up to its artistic renditions and will actually, like, suck in practice. I don't really buy that. Um, I mean, I have personally creeped all of Thermae's European locations on Instagram and, like, not just 
went to their official Instagrams, like creep the location tag and seen like what actual people who have gone to the spa, what photos they've taken look like. And honestly, they're nice. And like, what is the advantage to Therme making a crappy spa? Like they want to make money, right? It's weird. I mean, the, the, the mass privatization of half of Ontario Place would be a lot more offensive if it hadn't been left to rot, which I guess is kind of... I guess that's kind of the idea of how these... Uh, it's kind of how these things go. It's kind of how privatization works. Is you let a public service fall apart over time, <laughs> deteriorate, devolve, and then the private sector can swoop in. And but there's no current estimates available for the redevelopment's price tag. Both uh, Tourism Minister Lisa McLeod and representatives from the companies that spoke at the announcement uh, back in July say that the design work's still in process, but the private sector is expected to spend half a billion dollars on it. Bringing in this, this investment from other parts of Canada, from, from other parts around the world, is, is truly significant, and that's a half a billion dollars that uh, we wouldn't have had invested into this place. Um, one question really remains is that the Liberals, when they were in power, had said that the whole site needs $100 million worth of soil remediation, which makes sense as it's built on landfill materials, as we previously discussed. So who's going to cover the cost of that and how that's going to get worked out is very much up in the air. The province also says the forthcoming facilities will create 3,600 construction jobs and staff positions. Ford noted that Queen's Park will pay for the vast majority of the final cost to keep Ontario Place an inexpensive attraction for families. For instance, access to large public spaces and trails will be free, and other features would cost, quote, no more than going to the zoo. What we're doing is putting a lot of money into it to keep the costs lower for everyone to be, in, uh, be inclusive. You know, if we, if we don't, then it's going to go back onto the people that are showing up. When it comes to the future of the Cinesphere and the pods, the province says it's working with the Ontario Science Centre to explore opportunities to have science-related tourism and educational programming, which is just about as vague as anyone's ever described what's going to go into these pods. <laughs> it's the kind of sentence you write when you need to say something and you could you happen to own this other attraction that can't, that won't, you know, if you're just making up stuff about them, they won't be able to say, oh, they're, they're talking shit. We have no idea what's going on. They're, they're not going to say anything. So the safe thing to do is say, oh, the Science Centre would like to do it because who's going to contradict them? But that's kind of like been the idea with the pods since the very beginning is like I, they, no one ever really knew what to put in them or what to do with them. And the Science Centre was battered about as a possibility. It's sad about the Cenosphere, though. They genuinely don't, at least when they held the technical briefing a couple weeks ago, like I asked, like, yo, so zero, so are, is the Cenosphere going to be reopening? Because the plan is to close them down for, you know, repair as of December. Is the Cenosphere ever going to reopen? It was running as a movie theater right up until COVID. But, uh, yeah, weirdly, they, they didn't know. I think just back to, Jonathan, you mentioned the tech briefing, and I, I think we'd be remiss to not note um, who was uh, one of the hosts of the tech briefing, which was uh, Mark Saunders. Yeah, Toronto's uh, former police chief, who the Doug Ford appointed as the PC's special advisor for Ontario Place uh, a few months ago in March. And as odd as that sounds, uh, yes, Mark Saunders, the former Toronto police chief, is being paid $171,500 per year to advise the province on Ontario Place until February 2024. And now it's time for Foreseeable Disaster 
of the month. What's your foreseeable disaster, Jonathan? I guess it's kind of obvious because we're like here and standing amidst it, but uh, Ontario Place. I mean, it's kind of been a, fore- been a foreseeable disaster from the beginning, but it's really worked in spite of that. So there's nothing to say necessarily it won't work in spite of itself again. But there are so many things that can go wrong in this massive undertaking. Surely some will. And, I mean, it would not surprise me if this spa ends up like, I don't know, another Diamond Schmidt project, the Four Seasons Center for the Performing Arts, which I think it was due to budget cutbacks, uh, has one beautiful glass facade on University Avenue, and the other three faces on Queen, Richmond, and York are all just like black brick walls with some car ads. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with that. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing to watch with Ontario Place is going to be... Yeah. How much is the province actually spending on this? And um, like, how much is this going to cost to basically host a bunch of private enterprises? And also, because I think part of that that's going to, you know, that these private enterprises are going to rely on is that the rest of the grounds, once they're redeveloped, stay nice, right? Like you can't have someone wandering to the eco park through paths full of junk and buildings that are uh, have weeds growing out of the gutters like is now. So the province is going to have to spend a lot of money on this. So, yeah, how they've managed to pull all that off. Guess we'll... Saunders is in charge. <laughs> Paint it black. What is your foreseeable disaster, Allison? I feel like we've gone almost this whole episode without going to a place of COVID, but I think as many of our foreseeable disasters of the past have been... I foresee a disaster this fall when the schools open and everyone panics about COVID again and there's a bunch of pressure on the government to shut down stuff and we just return back in time once again to a place of stress and anger and the same kind of circular arguments and conversations we've been having for 17 months and I'm just, I foresee that being a disaster to have to live through again. Yeah, the government will wait the last minute to do the things that ought to have done earlier, and it will be longer and more painful. Again. But it's still summer, and it's still nice-ish. No, it's still nice. And that was Wag the Doug, a show about Doug Ford taking one of the few remaining legacy projects of an optimistic Ontario futures past and turning it into something that is not a Ferris wheel, but still partly owned by an Austrian company and a Quebec company and an American company. So could be worse. I'm Alison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. You can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Our producer is Demi Lola Aname. Our managing editor is Kieran Udshorn, and our theme music is remixed by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like what we do, support us. Go to wagthedog.com or click on the link in the show notes. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.